Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. We had a Ford Fiesta. It was yellow. It was old and falling apart. It was the car my mother drove. My mother was a shy woman. I cannot remember her ever raising her voice. Not once. I can remember her being upset, like the time that my brother and I were popping gum, sitting on the front row, piano side, while my dad was preaching. My mother actually got up from the choir loft, came down to where we were, and simply looked at us and motioned with her hand. We were ushered out of the sanctuary and then out of the church, across the dirt drive that led to the parsonage and its tiny kitchen. There, she held out the trash bin and motioned again. We spit our gum into the bin, then another motion, and we were marched back across the dirt road, back through the church, back into the sanctuary, back to our front row pew, where we were abandoned with a look that would curdle milk. And she returned to the choir loft, a gentle smile on her face. No words were ever spoken. And we never had gum in church again. But as I was saying, we had a yellow Ford Fiesta. It ran on prayers and bread ties. It was named Charlie. Charlie routinely broke down. I can remember my mother pleading, help him, Mother Mary, help him, when we were trying to go uphill. I don't know the stories of my mother's transition from Catholic to Baptist, but I do know that when she married a Baptist boy planning to be a preacher, that her Catholic mother was none too happy about it. Some of my mother's Catholicism stayed with her. We lit an Advent wreath at home, an activity we did not do in our Southern Baptist church. My mother had jewelry with the saints and a rosary. And I heard her call for Mary's help, not just with Charlie. I incited more than one, help me, Mother Mary, <laughs> uttered in quiet frustration. Help me, Mother Mary. Only what kind of help might we expect from Mother Mary? Is she an example of the severely limited options for women? Or is she a paragon of women's freedom? Is she meek? and mild and simply accepting of whatever is thrown at her by a male-dominated society? Or is she rebellious and brave? 
I want to argue that our Christmas carols and artists through the years have done her a disservice in painting her in a subdued and submissive brush. One might take such a view of Mary if one only reads Matthew's gospel. In Matthew, the angel visits Joseph with the news that Mary is pregnant. The angel tells Joseph, not Mary, all about this special baby. Joseph, not Mary. Mary doesn't have any spoken lines in the entirety of Matthew's Christmas pageant. But in Luke, in Luke, it's Mary who speaks with the angel. It's Mary who's given the news of her pregnancy. And then it's Mary, without the mention of Joseph at all, it's Mary who leaves her home in Nazareth and journeys all the way to her cousin Elizabeth's house in a Judean town in the hill country. I love imagining this visit. Elizabeth and her second trimester and Mary, it seems, in her first. Both women expecting a child for the first time. Just think of their conversations. The Gospel of Luke only tells us about one. When Mary first arrived and Elizabeth heard her greeting, Luke says, Elizabeth's child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord has come to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Luke focuses on the women. As Ben Witherton says, it is Elizabeth and Mary, not Zachariah and Joseph, who are the first to receive the message of Christ's coming, who are praised and blessed by God's angels, who are the first to sing and prophesy about the Christ child. Luke doesn't leave the women in the manger, tending the children and the animals. In Luke's gospel, we read of women disciples and women's role in Jesus's resurrection. And in Luke's second volume, the Acts of the Apostles, we learn of the prominence of women in the early church. Listen to Luke chapter eight. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were there with him and also some women, Mary called Magdalene, for whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many other women. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. It's verses one through three if you want to look it up. We know from the Gospel of Luke that there were women disciples. We know that women often funded the Jesus movement. We know that they were involved in every aspect of Jesus's ministry. But have you ever seen a painting of Jesus where there are several women with him? I never have. Even in the movies, when Jesus is teaching his disciples or they're going to heal someone or they're traveling down the road together, there are rarely any women with them. Sure, 
when Jesus is feeding the multitudes or speaking to the crowds, there are always women among the throngs of people. But when Jesus is speaking just to the disciples, all you ever see are men. Rebecca West said, feminism is the radical notion that women are disciples too. Jesus challenged the conventional patriarchy of his culture. Jesus depended on the ministry of women. He was ministered to by women and he ministered alongside women. Jesus was surrounded by women and men as he went about including those who had been excluded. And before Jesus did all this welcoming and including, before his ministry ever began, he was conceived and grew in the womb of a woman, Mary. Mary is startled by the presence of the angel. So were Gideon, Jacob, Jonah, and the shepherds of Bethlehem. They, like Mary, question the angel in wonder and doubt, even resistance. The others are not noted for their reticence. They are not called meek and mild. Why is Mary? I had long been aware of a different standard that my older brother was expected to be a doctor or an engineer. And I was asked if I wanted to be a nurse or a teacher. I grew up with Mary, mostly presented as quiet, gentle, meek, mild, hands folded in prayer, gazing adoringly at baby Jesus, never saying a word. In the churches that raised me, this was the role women were expected to occupy. Women did not pray or preach. They did not even take up the offering. Women could not be deacons or adult Sunday school teachers. A penis was required to be used by God in any sort of public and official way in the churches of my childhood. What if Jesus had been born a girl? What if Jesus were called not son of man, but daughter of woman? Would it matter? What if a woman had walked along the sea calling the names of those who were fishing? What if she had said, come with me, Simone and Andrea and Jamie and Joanne, daughters of Zebedee? What difference would it make? What if the church for thousands of years performed rituals in the name of the mother, the daughter, and the Holy Spirit? Would things be different? If our religious narrative were told as the story, not of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, not of a father who sacrifices a son, but a woman cloaked in sexual scandal, laboring to bring new life, a promise of peace into the world, would we be in a different place? Surely there'd be more female clergy. But what about the dominant way Christianity seems to be lived out? The violence of the patriarchy is deeply entrenched in the dominant telling of the Jesus story. A story so often told this way. A judging, angry father, God, sacrifices his one and only son as payment for the sin debt of all people a sin debt that began 
with a woman. Starting from the birth of a baby in Bethlehem, it's hard to imagine how different the story would be if Jesus had been a woman. And as much as I'd like to suggest that if Jesus were a woman, the world would be a better place, the text won't let me. After all, Jesus was a refugee, and yet thousands of people who claim to be Christians want refugees kept out, want immigrants turned away. Jesus held up a Samaritan, a person of a different religion, as the best way to be a neighbor, the way to follow the most important commandments of God. And yet, so many who claim to follow these same commandments feel threatened by Muslims, by Jews. Jesus' skin was brown, likely dark brown. And yet, thousands of men who look like Jesus did are locked away in prisons, shot in the street, not hired, seen as a threat, mistrusted. Jesus was radical in his welcome, his welcome of women, of outcasts, of those the dominant society excluded. And yet thousands who claim to follow Jesus reject and exclude people they don't understand, don't want to understand, cannot open themselves to see. I am a Christian because I find inspiration in the teachings and doings of Jesus. The title Christian is being used in ways that don't represent me or frankly Jesus's ministry, but I'm not willing to give the name up. They can't keep Christianity all to themselves deciding what it means. They don't have exclusive rights to Jesus. They can't control who the disciples were, and they certainly can't control who the disciples are now. This is about so much more than who Jesus was. It's about who we are and how we see ourselves as following, as doing and being and bringing radical, inclusive love. In the Middle Ages, many generations after Jesus' birth, Meister Eckhart, reflecting on the insufficiency of simply rehearsing the old, old story of Christmas, he wrote, What good is it to me that Mary gave birth to the Son of God 1,400 years ago if I do not also give birth to the Son of God in my time and in my culture? We are all meant to be mothers of God. God is always needing to be born. I think I've read you this quote every year. Maybe I have. I need to hear it at least once a year, maybe more often. All of us, all of us, men and women and gender fluid people and non-binary and children and teenagers and all of us are called to be the mothers of God, called like brave, prophetic, questioning Mary, called to smuggle God into the world. This is our hope. This is our hope. Help us 
Mother Mary. Amen. <laughs>